0: Exodus 20. So we're going to finish Exodus today. We're looking at the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 is the chapter that gives us, that presents to us the Ten Commandments. So let's read the chapter, Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of our Lord. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle, nor your stranger, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven, and you shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves an altar of earth. You shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offering and your peace offerings your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these commandments that are life to us. Thank you for your grace that you've given to us in Jesus Christ in hearts in new creations that you've given to us that give us a desire, a willingness. And by your grace and by our faith in Jesus Christ, we are now able to fulfill the righteousness of these commandments. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read another scripture to you from Jesus, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter five, verse 17 through 20. Jesus declared this, do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill for assuredly, I say to you till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches, I'm sorry, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men, So shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on in that chapter through verses 21 through 28, and he gives murder and adultery as two examples of how the righteousness that God demands is not only an outward righteousness but it is an inward righteousness. It's not just our actions outwardly but it's our thoughts and our hearts inwardly. Our righteousness is to be consistent not occasional and not only when convenient. And so this is what Jesus is addressing here in these verses in Matthew 5:21 through 28. The Pharisees had this system set up where basically if a person committed murder for instance, they were they were subject to the death penalty, but then they had created all of these loopholes where if they basically had someone else kill somebody or then they weren't subject to the death penalty, but it was said that God would deal with them in heaven. God would deal with them, but man's justice, there would be no consequence. Jesus comes and he turns this whole thing upside down and he not only says, not only are you not supposed to murder, but if you say to your brother, you fool, now the word fool there our English word fool, that word fool literally means in the original language, it's not just the connotation of an empty-headed person. That's really kind of what, if you go over to Matthew chapter 5, let's look at this real quick. Matthew chapter 5, this is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus is giving this message and he begins to uh, talk about these things. And he says, um, you shall not, you've, you've heard it said, you, uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Verse 22, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That word judgment signifies that there, there would be literally a court set up. So there would be a number of these rulers, these leaders, and you would be brought before them, and they would judge what you had done. And he says, if you commit murder, you're in danger of the judgment. But I say that if you say to your brother, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka which is more like our word, you fool. Araka means you empty-headed, ignorant person. If you say to your brother, you empty-headed, ignorant person, you're in danger of the council. And whoever says you fool or you wicked, reprobate, evil person, he is in danger of hellfire. Hellfire. So Jesus turns this thought on, on its head, and he says, you guys are all about making sure you perform these things outwardly, that you're obeying God's law outwardly, but God says it's more than just an outward obedience that he demands. God says it has to be an inward. In other words, if you are angry with your brother without a cause, if you call your brother a fool, if you call your brother a wicked, evil person, you are approaching some place within you that is equivalent to committing murder. You've, in other words, you've murdered him in your heart. And you will be in danger of the judgment. He goes on and he does the same thing with adultery. You've heard it says don't commit adultery. That is the commandment we just read. You shall not commit adultery. But Jesus said it's not just physically, literally, outwardly committing adultery. But if you look with the intent to lust, if you lust in your heart, you have violated the commandment. So Jesus, when he comes, he makes it very clear. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came in actuality to fulfill it. And he says, not one crossing of the T or dotting of the I, not one comma, not one period, not, not the littlest bit of the law shall be done away with, but it shall be completely fulfilled. Jesus, when he came, didn't come to change the standard of God's righteousness. He reveals that, in reality, what he did was come and reveal what the standard truly is. He didn't lower it and he didn't raise it. He just comes and he lays it out and he says, this is the standard of God's righteousness. God demands holiness and righteousness internally and externally. And Jesus fulfilled the righteous standard. He did what no other man could do. He fulfilled the righteousness of God perfectly and completely. And Jesus goes on and he begins in his teaching, and he's we're going to look at this in, in a little bit when Jesus is challenged. But basically, turn over to John 13. Thirty-four. I don't have that scripture. Computer person, so sorry. But John thirteen thirty-four, and in John thirteen, Jesus is just hours before his arrest. This takes place during the um, during the Last Supper, during that time between the Last Supper and his arrest. And in John 13, 34, Jesus tells his disciples a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is in John's gospel and in John's first letter, in his first epistle, he talks about this and he says, in one hand, he says, there's no new commandment. But then on the other hand, he says, but there is a new commandment. The commandment is to love. And so love is the fulfillment of God's law. Jesus did not reduce the law. He shows us the costly simplicity that has come to us in God's grace. It's costly because it literally cost Jesus his life on the cross. It's simple because now in Christ we are given hearts that are capable of loving God and obeying God. Now, I didn't say it was easy. But it's not complicated. It's like what we say about discipleship. Discipleship is not complicated, it's just hard. What God requires is not complicated. But he has given us now the means... That we can obey him and we can love him. This is the gospel. God gives these commandments to Moses and Moses then takes them to the children of Israel and, and Israel does not understand yet how difficult it's going to be for them to be able to keep God's commandments. And when the law is given and all this system of sacrifice and this system of worship, it literally makes it impossible. It's humanly impossible for us to obey. It's humanly impossible for us to actually submit to this law the way God demands that we do. Thus, what, what does that mean? Did God just leave us in an impossible place? Absolutely not. Galatians says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born under the law, born of a virgin, that he might redeem us from the law. And then Paul says also in Galatians that the law was my tutor. It was my schoolmaster. It took me by the hand, and it was the law that brought me to Christ. So the law, the purpose of the law was always to bring us to Christ. It was always to point us to Christ but that does not mean that God doesn't care whether the law is fulfilled. He actually cares greatly that the law is fulfilled. So love is the fulfillment of the law. If I truly love God, I must love all that God loves And I must value all that God values. I can't love God and practice unrighteousness or hate my brother. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John is a small little book, but it is so powerful. 1 John chapter 3. Let's look at verse 10. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. So here's how we know. Now, what do we see right here? We see there are children of God and there are children of the devil. You hear this, this cry, this, this cry that the world wants us to believe. We're all children of God. No, we're all created in the image of God. We all bear the fingerprint of God, but God, but John says... In this, the children of God and the children of devil and the devil are made manifest. This is exactly what Jesus talked about when he gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he said, there was a man who had a field and he uh, sowed his seed in the field. And then an enemy came at night and sowed tares in the field. And then his servants discovered that there were wheat and there were tares growing up together in this field. And they said, what should we do? Should we take the tares out, and he said, no, leave the tares and leave the wheat. Let them grow up together, and then when the time of the harvest has come, we'll know which is wheat and which is tares, and then we'll separate the wheat from the tare. So there has always been tares, and there's always been wheat. There's always been children of God. There's always been children of the devil. How do we know the difference? Because the Bible seems to indicate they can look alike. They can look very much alike. Well, John says, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. The key word there is practice. It doesn't say whoever never fails is of God. Whoever is able to live perfectly obedient lives without ever making a mistake, those are the ones who are the children of God. Can you do that? I'll confess to you right now, I don't even come close to that. I fail regularly. I struggle with impatience. I struggle with anger. I climb up a ladder and drop my tools 12 feet below, and have to come down the ladder, and I'm not happy about it. I'm not whistling Dixie and saying, What a wonderful day it is. You hear me use my favorite word, Dad Gummit. Oh man, I can't believe I just dropped that. I gotta climb down this ladder. I don't like being on the ladder to begin with. That's a sin. My wife is so good, she reminds me all the time, You're in sin. Why are you angry? Why are you impatient? Why are you, why do you have a bad attitude? That's sin. And she's right. It's sin. I'm not justifying it. I'm just telling you. This is reality. Am I the only one that falls into this? Am I the only one that sins like that? It's sin. God says that's sin. Does that mean I'm not a child of God? Does that mean you're not a child of God? No. No. But what is the practice? What is your heart? Do you, do you receive that? When you get fearful, when you get angry, when you let your emotions get the best of you, do you resist that reality that this is sin? Do you see and do you know the need that you need to repent? You need to change your mind, change your attitude. We can do that, we can confess that sin to God. And God is faithful to forgive us. He gives us grace. So the point of the commandment now is not that, well Jesus came and we don't have to worry about this. No, the point of the commandment now is Jesus has come and he has given us a means of grace to not only fulfill the law in him, but we now have hearts that can see our sinfulness and we now have hearts that can desire his righteousness. And out of our desire for his righteousness, what should be the practice of our life? Well, righteousness should be the practice of our life. And if righteousness is the practice of our life, that's the indication that we are children of God. If we love our brother, that's an indication we are children of God. If I, if I say I'm practicing righteousness, but I hate my brother, it's like people that say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. No, sorry, you have failed to understand who the church is. You cannot love Jesus and hate the church. You cannot do it. You can't embrace Jesus and reject his church. You cannot do it because Jesus and his church, his bride, are one. There is no separation there. Ephesians 5, verse 30, we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We are members of his body. Doesn't get any more unified than that. He goes on and he says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his works were evil and his brothers righteous do not marvel my brethren if the world hates you we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren he who does not love his brother abides in death whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. You say don't murder, but I say if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And that's exactly what John says here. Love is the fulfillment of the law. If I truly love God, then I'm going to love his commandments. I'm going to love all that he values, to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, is to love your neighbor as yourself. It is to love one another as Christ has loved us. That's the new commandment he gives us in John thirteen thirty four. If we love God, we will obey his commandments. We will have a heart to practice righteousness and not practice unrighteousness. What is righteous is everything that God loves and God values. God doesn't value unrighteousness. God doesn't value those things. You say, well, well, how do I know what is and what isn't righteous? Listen, if God loves it, it's righteous. If God values it, it is righteous righteous. His ways are righteous, so our ways should also be righteous. John 3.36, the words of Jesus, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It, rem- it remains on him. That means it's, it was already there. This is the point Jesus made when he says, the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already under condemnation. He came to save the world. He came to remove from the children of God the wrath that was upon them. And how did Jesus remove the wrath that was upon us? By taking it upon himself. John 14, verses 15 through 16. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you a helper that he may abide with you forever. Who is this helper? This is the helper who helps us walk in his ways. Who conforms us to the image of the Son of God. Who is molding us and shaping us and ultimately bringing us to the glory of God. John fifteen ten, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. When I say love is the fulfillment of the law of God, I don't just mean go out and do a bunch of loving things, a bunch of good works, and you're good to go. No, if you truly love God, then you will keep his commandments. That's not what I say. That's what Jesus is consistently saying here. I'm not, quoting, I'm not quoting some theologian. I'm not quoting some guy who wrote a book. I'm quoting Jesus, the son of the living God who said, if you love me, keep my commandments. When we say God's commandments do not matter today, we're calling Jesus a liar. For Jesus clearly teaches us that we are to obey his commandments. And keeping his commandments does not earn us salvation. You understand this, right church? Keeping his commandments, the point of keeping God's commandments is not for you to earn your salvation because you don't earn salvation by keeping his commandments. Salvation has been given to us by grace through faith. It is the gift of God and the salvation that he has gifted us now gives us a heart to desire his commandments and the grace by which we can keep them. I'm not keeping the commandments to gain salvation. I have gained salvation by His grace. Therefore, it is natural now for me to keep His commandments. The commandments are relevant for us today. Some people think they're not relevant for us today. Any commandment. And we're just talking about the Ten Commandments, but there's a whole lot more. In these 10 commandments, all the other commandments, all the other laws, they all go back to this. And Jesus reduced that down to to something even simpler for us to grasp. He said, it all reduces down to love. If you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, that is the greatest commandment. And if you do that, then you're going to love your neighbor as yourself on these two hang all the law and all the prophets is what Jesus said. In fact, this is in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The commandments speak directly to our lives today and give us clear guidance on how we are to live and the way we are to walk. The commandments, you can take the Ten Commandments and divide them into two categories that reinforce what Christ taught when he was asked this question. And his answer was basically, love God and love your neighbor. Paul the Apostle comments on the commandments also. It's found in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. Paul writes, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does, does Paul mean that it doesn't matter whether we love God? As long as we love our neighbor, we don't have to love God. That's what the atheist says, right? Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't even believe in God. It's not important for me to love God. I just need to love my neighbor. No, you can't love your neighbor if you don't love God. And you can't love God if you don't love your neighbor. These are not mutually exclusive things. These are things that are absolutely tied together. So if you look at these 10 commandments, commandments one through four, command our love for God. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. No other gods. That's our heart of worship. No graven images. That's our practice of worship. Do not take God's name in vain. That's our value of God's name. Do you value God's name? You call yourself a Christian That is God's name, Christ. A Christian is a Christ follower. If you just flippantly say, I'm a Christian. Well, what is manifest in your life? What is the practice of your life? How does the world know you're a Christian? Is it by what you say or is it by how you live? If we use God's name in vain and we profess to be something that we don't, in practice, in reality, manifest, that is using his name in vain. This is, mu- this is more than just using God's name as a curse word. That's horrible. But it's, just, it, it's, more, than, it's more than saying, I'm never going to say Blankety-blank. I'm never going to say this in relationship with God's name. This also goes to who you profess to be and who you profess God to be and whether you profess to be a follower of him. Don't take God's name in vain. Value because God has given you his name and that is a very, very valuable thing that God has given to you. Don't take lightly that God has given to you. His name. Revelation says that we will have His name written upon us. It indicates ownership. Does God own you? Or are you using His name in vain and He really does not have ownership of you? The fourth is keep the Sabbath holy. Do you value God's sabbath? Today is the sabbath. God gave a very specific commandment concerning the sabbath, do we value that? Or was God just, that, that just doesn't mean anything anymore? Oh Pastor Jeff, you're getting legalistic now, really? Or is God getting legalistic. They are called laws, right? They're commandments. It is called the law of God. When you are doing 85 in a 45 and the police officer walks up to your window, do you say, hey now, you're just getting legalistic. (laughs) He'll say, yes, I am. (laughs) You broke the law. I'm very legalistic. Commandments 5-10 through command our love for one another honor your father and mother it speaks to the honor for parents and the honor for God's authority that actually is a bridge commandment between these two it speaks of our honor for God and it speaks for our honor for one another do not murder our honor for life created in God's image do not commit adultery our honor for marriage for one another and for Christ do not steal our honor for one another and the property and the provision that God gives to us. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the honor for truth and the honor for our neighbor. You can't lie and it not affect somebody. A lie is always going to affect somebody, whether you believe it or not. And it absolutely affects God, it transgresses against God. Do you honor the truth? Do not covet. That's our honor for God's provision and our contentment in Him. God says, don't be looking at everybody else's stuff and, and wishing you had their stuff. Be content in me. To love God is to fear God And to love his commandments. To love God is to seek to please him through faith. It's not our ability to practice perfect obedience. It is our willingness to practice obedience in the midst of our imperfection. Our faith is not in our perfect obedience, but in the perfect obedience of Christ. We seek to obey his commandments knowing that we fail, but we do not use failure as an excuse to not. Practice obedience. We don't use our inability to obey perfectly as a reason to fail or simply not try. We use our inability to obey perfectly as a reason to trust in Christ. Do you understand? It is our inability to obey perfectly that gives us reason and cause to trust in Christ because he is our perfect obedience. We don't abandon the commandments. We embrace Christ. And embracing Christ, we embrace his commandments. And we trust in his grace as we seek to be conformed to his image, his righteousness, and his holiness. So he lists the commandments. Then we come to verses 18 through 21. And here's kind of a strange thing. In these verses here, go back to Exodus chapter 20, look at, verse, look at verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Now, the people come to the mountain, they're all excited, right? Oh, we're going to get to see and we're going to get to hear God. We're going to see his fire and his lightning up on the mountain and God's going to talk to us. Well, the only problem was when they actually got there and they began to hear God's voice and they heard the trumpet blast that didn't stop, they became exceedingly terrified. And instead of, remember God told them, put this... Put this uh, barrier around the mountain because if they cross this barrier and even touch the mountain, they're going to die. Well, no worries there because when the people began to hear God speak, when they began to see the flames and the lightnings, they they weren't drawn to the mountain. They were recoiled and they ran away from it. And they said, hey, Moses, you talk to God. He's too terrifying for us. You talk to God and then you come back and tell us what God said. And the response of Moses was what we just read in verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you. That's kind of odd. Do not fear. He's come so that you would fear. That's what, that's what it says. He's come that you may fear so that you may not sin. Listen to this from the expositor's bible commentary. Now the New Testament quotes a confession of Moses himself. This is in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 21. And it's quoted, it said that here's what Moses said, "I do exceedingly fear and quake" talking about Moses coming to this mountain. And yet we read that he said unto the people, "Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not." Thus we have the double paradox that he ex- that he exceedingly feared yet he bade the people he encouraged the people to fear not and yet again declared that the very object of God was that they might fear him like every paradox which is not a mere contradiction this is instructive for us so meanwhile there was this fear that should endure that God desires. I have come that my fear might be before your face that you might not sin. So there is a fear of God that God wants to remain in us that we embrace. It's not panic, but awe. It's not terror, but it's reverence. And out of that reverence, we Choose not to transgress his law. Fear not, for God has come to prove you, to see whether the nobler emotion or the baser will survive. God doesn't want us to panic at the thought of him, but God does want us to be in awe at the thought of him. God's purpose in commanding his fear is not to create terror in us, but to create reverence in us. And out of that reverence for God, out of that holy fear, we would be a people that would vigorously resist sin and actively love God. This leads to the blessing of God in our life. And this is why God has come to us. This is why God has put his fear before our faces because God came to bless his people. The Proverbs have much to say about the fear of the Lord. Let me give you some verses from the Proverbs. Proverbs 9:10, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding." Proverbs 10:27, "The fear of the Lord belongs I'm sorry, the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27, in the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 16.6, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. Hallelujah, that is good news. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. This is what Moses told the people. This is why the scripture teaches that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Or we could say it like this, the fear of the Lord is the grace of the Lord. To fear God is to have God's grace that gives you that capacity to recognize who God is in his holiness and recognize who we are in our need and in our sinfulness and to know and to understand that God has made a way where there was no way. We talked about Islam in our Bible study in our Sunday school this morning, and we did a very, very short study on Islam as part of the lesson. And there's, there's great contrast here between Islam and Christianity. Islam leaves you with a demand for obedience but no means to obey except your human ability. And you have no certainty of what is actually going to happen to you when you cross from this realm into the eternal. Christianity could not be more different. Christianity demands holiness and righteousness. It demands our obedience. But God in his grace has given us the means by which we can obey. That is Jesus Christ. He has put his spirit in us and now gives us hearts that desire his holiness and his righteousness. This is the grace of God, the fear of the Lord. I'm going to end right here, verses 23 through 26. It's kind of an odd little thing. It's the law of the altar. And then God says to them, he says, If you're going to build an altar, make it out of earth, an altar of earth you shall make for me and you'll sacrifice on it. Then he says, if you build me an altar of stone, make sure that it is stone that's not been touched by a tool. In other words, you don't hew the stone out and then build me an altar. Now, remember, everything in the scripture is picturing something for us. It's communicating the gospel, it's communicating the good news of Jesus Christ. The altar of earth is a picture of the first Adam, the man of earth. This is the humanity of the church. Listen, the church is human, the church is flesh and blood. The church is not some concept that lives out in the cloud somewhere. You are the church. I am the church. We're here. With our feet on solid ground, we're flesh and blood. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We right now are the man made of dust. This pictures the humanity of our worship directed toward a God that is other than we are. It reminds us that God did not reject our humanity, but He embraced it. He descended into it and He transcended it. And that's how He redeemed us unto Himself. The altar of stone. This altar of stone is a picture of the second man, the last Adam, who is Christ. This is the rock, this is the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands. This is why God says, if you make me an altar of stone, make sure that no tool touches it. It's not to be created by man. It's natural. This is a picture of Christ, who is our rock. Christ is not some man-made system of religion. Christ was not simply a man or simply a great prophet or a great teacher or a great role model for us to live by. He was the son of the living God. He was the Messiah. He is the, th- the one who created all things. All things that were created were created by him, for him, and through him. He is the transcendent living God of the universe. This pictures the church that Christ is building. Building out of living stones, not by the hands of man or the tools of man, but by the living Christ and the Spirit of God. It is, the dis- it is to be distinguished from all other man-made systems that have been profaned by the hands of men. That's why Christianity is different than any other religion on the face of the earth. And the church is to be a people that are different than any other people on the face of the earth. And the difference begins in here. It's not dressing different, it's not wearing your hair different, it's not any of that. It can mean that in certain contexts. But it begins with something that transpires that happens in your heart. It's a church that's to bear the mark of its creator, that is God. Amen? Christ has promised to build his church. If you love me, keep my commandments, is what Jesus said. We're going to come to the table now. If you think about holiness of God you think about who God is you cannot help but think about the miracle of being able to come to this table to take that bread and to take that cup and proclaim his body and proclaim his blood there is nothing more important that we do as a church than gather together assemble together and come to the table together because we are his body God has come down to test you and that his fear may be before you, that you would not sin. God demands obedience and he has given to us the means to obey in Jesus Christ. And keeping his commandments, we are to give witness to his good news, his grace, and his goodness that he has so freely given to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Church, To obey is better than sacrifice. Go obey. Go declare his good news. Do it with your words. Do it with your lives. The harvest is ripe. It is out there. Gather it and bring it in to his glory. Amen.